Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. What keeps you engaged in a good story? How do you know if you're being entertained or manipulated? These questions drive today's guest to help people tell better stories and increase our societal level of video literacy. Steve Stockman is a director, editor, teacher, and author of How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck, advice to make any amateur look like a pro. As an instructor, Steve's book was my go-to textbook, and I still refer to it as I continue to grow my production skills. In our conversation, Steve shares his passion for storytelling and what makes a compelling story. He talks about the need for video literacy, how to understand video language, why it's crucial to not over-rely on technology when learning to tell stories, how to respond to notes and critique, and what networking actually is. Steve's wisdom and experience can help you tell better stories, whether you're an aspiring filmmaker or a creative professional. Show notes for this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 764. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the short documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support of the show. Well, Steve, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I have been reading your book and using your book in different forms, so I'm excited to talk with you today because when I see how to shoot video that doesn't suck, hey, it's Steve Stockman. (laughs) Thanks, Chris, for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I love to ask this question of everyone I talk to because the answers are always wide and varying as the guests themselves. But what are you endlessly curious about? I am. God, it's a big list, actually. But let's stick to a little bit to the subject. I'm endlessly curious about the form of storytelling in video. Mm. And I think the thing that goes along with that for me is I'm endlessly curious about how our society is using video to communicate. Video is a language, right? And we know this because there are certain things in video that carry uh, meaning to people. You know, like when you're when you're watching a video, you kind of know when the scary thing is going to jump out. And the reason you know that is because the camera shots are framed a certain way and the music is saying a certain thing. And this is part of a video language that's evolved over the last hundred and so on years. Right now, we're going through this societal revolution where you can deep fake video and you can uh, videos become the the dominant mode of communication online and video is something you expect to see everywhere and how we communicate with video and how we teach ourselves to communicate with video is, uh, for me is a, a very interesting topic. Yeah. What got you interested in video as a language? Just my own work. You know, I started doing commercials quite a long time ago and, you know, and I've done a feature film and I've done YouTube projects and I've done uh, more commercials and uh, 12 network TV shows. So, so I watched that go on, but what's over the last 10 years because everyone carries a very high quality video camera around in their pocket at all times, things have changed. You know, you used to not shoot video. 
it used to be abnormal. If you needed a video shot, you would, you know, look in the the yellow pages, remember those, and you would you would look up video production companies and you'd hire one and they'd shoot your commercial or your or your industrial. Um, and if you were doing home movies, you had that Super 8 home movie camera or that uh, kind of crappy video point and shoot camera. And that's as far as you go. I mean, in the in, in 15 years ago, if you walked through the mall and uh, there was a store with giant monitors on display and a camera pointing out the mall and you <laughs> yeah. saw yourself on TV, you'd go like you'd wave. Right. Yeah. That was 15 years ago. And now we carry a video studio in our pockets that Alfred Hitchcock would be jealous of. And so our use of video and our familiarity with it from both sides of the camera has grossly increased over time and our use of it as communication medium has changed over time so i guess i got interested in it when i was teaching at a summer camp this camp called summer stars camp for the performing arts which i still teach at uh, 25 years later and i was teaching uh, disadvantaged 12 to 15 year olds how to shoot video and they weren't great at it and at first i thought well it's because they're maybe lower income families not much exposure to video. But then as the video boom took off and iPhones and stuff took off, I realized that nobody's any good at it because nobody ever asked us to shoot video before. And so that got me really started on the idea of how can I help kind of share what we in my industry understand about communicating with video as we go forward into the video world. I know that sounds kind of pompous and high end, but that's that was actually the thought process. No, I love it. And it it makes me think of something that was very powerful for me when teaching to students was your three-shot story process on getting people to think in storytelling with just three shots. I mean, that's that's a brilliant teaching tool right there. Yeah, well, it's, it's the daily comics, right? You know, yeah. set up dilemma punchline, you know, and bang. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, even still, so today we we have a situation going on where everybody's communicating in video, but nobody's teaching video the way they do in uh, the way they teach English in school. So nobody's really teaching you how how your video communicates. Nobody's teaching you to accurately translate your thoughts into the video medium so that they can be shared with someone else. And no one's teaching you kind of the ins and outs of video so that you can defend yourself against uh, being manipulated against deep fakes against other things which a professional can see instantly but real people are a little bit more confused about um, and it's just a level of expertise what would it look like in in that school setting where just like they're teaching english they're teaching video i mean what does literacy look like in that regard i think it's surprisingly analogous to to the experience of teaching English in a lot of ways. So for example, you know, when I talk to people about editing in my video series and in the book, I make the point that editing is just cut, copy and paste, right? <laughs> Which is exactly like Microsoft Word, right? So it's about taking all the video that you've shot and removing all the terrible stuff and tweaking the good stuff to make it a little bit better using cut copy and paste and everybody goes oh editing is so confusing and there's so many knobs and it's like yeah but most in its most simple form it's really like making a paragraph you know a shot is like a sentence 
You know, if you remember the sentence structure that uh, Mrs. Cooper taught you in third grade, you know, noun, verb, object, right? Uh, a shot in video, if you look at a film shot, it's going to be the hand, the noun, pulls, verb, the trigger, the object, right? And that's a shot in an action movie, right? So every shot that you see in film and television is a sentence. It's a noun, verb, and object. And so if we start to think about the similarities between how we shoot video and how we speak language, we can see that it's not really as hard as you might think. And everybody gets all caught up in the tech aspect. They get all caught up in, oh, three-point lighting, and I've got to <laughs> frame my shots this way. And I, you know, and none of that is important. Or let me put it a different way. None of it is as important as thinking through your communication strategy before you start and thinking about what you want to get across and how you're going to construct what you're what you're doing. And right there, I think sometimes reveals one of the problems that we face is that no one really wants to think <laughs> and we want the easy answers. Oh, I can just go to YouTube and watch a tutorial and it will teach me how to, you know, cut, copy and paste, you know, and do the work for me. Yeah. And th there's a lot of good tutorials on YouTube, but for me, most of them are about the tech side. Mm -hmm. You know, most of them are about, here's how you use this complicated camera from black magic which is great. But the truth is, if you don't know how to shoot a video on your iPhone, you don't really have any business playing with the complicated camera from Blackmagic because it's just going to confuse you. And oh, by the way, they've made the iPhone so brilliant and, and, and its other smartphone competitors that they'll do the lighting for you. It's very, very hard to take a terribly lit picture on a smartphone. Because the smartphone is going to do everything it can to make it look terrific. And this was something that, you know, going back to my Alfred Hitchcock example, I mean, he had a crew of 150 people standing there to do what your phone will do for you instantly. So the equipment is, it's kind of, it's like where everybody looks first. But if you were learning how to golf, you don't go out and buy the $30,000 golf clubs the day of your first lesson. Right. Oops. What you do instead is you rent some crappy clubs or borrow them from a friend. You go out and take your lesson. You decide if you like golf and then you practice a lot. I say this having no golf skills whatsoever, but I've seen other people do it. Right. And after you get good, you learn the difference between a $10 club that you just rented and a $500 club that you might want for Christmas next year right? Because your skills improve. And it's the same thing with video. If you start on your phone or you start with the digital SLR camera that you've been taking still pictures on, as you get better, you're going to learn what you need and what you don't need and what you like and what you don't like about using those as you develop your skills as a storyteller and a videographer. And then when the time comes, you may decide Oh, yeah, I really do need one of these really cool prosumer cameras that does a lot of tricks. Or you may not, depending on your needs. I love that distinction, though, of separating gear from storytelling, because, you know, gear is essentially the thing that traps us in bad decision making, mm -hmm. especially when you're trying to make a living, you know, as a freelancer or you know, trying to come up through the Hollywood system, if you're overburdened with debt, you can't function 
fast enough to learn, make mistakes without the axe over your head of, you know, creditors. Yeah. And I think it, it forces you to try to, to learn two extremely different skills at exactly the same time, which is very difficult. You know, it's like, it's like rubbing your stomach and patting your head. You know, you have to think about what you're shooting. And at the same time, you have to figure out what those buttons do and what exposure you want and what frame rate you want and all that other stuff. And it's better for people, you know, if I'm directing an actor on the set, I don't finish the take and then say, now do this, then this, then this, then this, then this. I give them one thing to think about and focus on. And when they've got that one thing, they'll get the next thing if there's a next thing that needs to be got. Right. Because it's just confusing to expect you to try to learn something highly technical and something highly communicative at the same time. It's two different brains. Right. right? So I would argue, leave the tech alone, figure out how to shoot videos that that people will actually want to watch. And this is the skill that we can teach. You know, this is a skill we can teach kids in school without a big equipment budget. You know, they all come to school with smartphones anyway. Let's put them to work, right? Yeah. We can teach it without a big equipment budget. It takes the pressure off of us if we're new parents and we're thinking of how to document baby's life, right? We want to take great videos of our kids and our family and our holidays and all that. Forget about the lighting for a minute, you know? Forget about frame rate and how to plug your thing into the computer. It doesn't matter. What matters is how you think about how you want to communicate something to the people who are going to watch. I also love how you distinguish between art and craft, you know, so you mentioned left brain, right brain, in a sense, different parts of our brain, utilizing tech, utilizing story makes me think of art and craft as well. There's an art to storytelling and it's an industry in a sense. Yeah, it absolutely, it is. And that is one thing that, man, when people say, talk to me about how to do a better video, the, I, I frequently will start with story because I don't think that people understand how important it is to all film, television, video. And also story is another thing that people overly complicate. Um, story is really just a hero, a beginning, a middle and an end, right? It's super simple. So if your story, if, if you're shooting your, your daughter's first birthday, you have to decide who the hero is of this video. And let's say we decide that it's Sarah, the one-year-old daughter, you know, and the story is going to be Sarah has chocolate cake for the first time. And so now if you know that story and what you're aiming for, then you have a beginning. She doesn't have any cake yet, but she's sitting in the high chair and there's people singing. You have the middle where she's presented with a piece of cake and you have the end where she smears cake all over herself, throws it on the floor, stuffs it in her mouth, has a great time and everybody laughs, right? right? So that's a, a great little video. But if you change the hero of that story and the hero is, uh, say, your great grandmother who's coming to the house to meet Sarah for the first time on her first birthday, and you make the great grandmother the hero of this story. And then the beginning is the great grandmother arrives and meets Sarah for the first time and is overjoyed. And the middle is Sarah and great grandma play on the floor together with Sarah's toys that she got for her first birthday. And the end is great grandma reads Sarah a story and puts her to bed. That's a completely different birthday video, but it's a story, right? And so when you're doing a 
video of any kind, whether it's a commercial or a 46-minute network show, you have to know where you're going to start. You have to know who it's going to be about. You have to know what's going to happen in the middle that's challenging or interesting that we're going to want to know more about. And you have to know how it ends. And if you know those things, your story, any video you take, whether it's a home video or a marketing video, will be way, way better because it gives us as humans who are story creatures some, something to follow. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Why do we overcomplicate story then? I think there are two reasons. One is it can be very complicated. That is, if you're Chris Nolan and you're doing Memento, his first <laughs> feature, right? That's a story that is told backwards in time. Um, it's told about a guy who has no memory. It's super tricky. And when you see that, you go, oh, wow, that is that I, I barely understood that, let alone could I shoot it, right? But mm -hmm. it was super cool. And so people see what advanced storytellers are doing and they go, oh, I have to do that. But advanced storytelling starts with an understanding of basic storytelling. And so I think if we remember hero beginning, middle and end, then even you know our barbecues or birthday videos will be way better and our marketing videos will be way better and our youtube videos will be way better and if we get good at that like the golf clubs thing if we get really good at wielding story in our youtube videos and we want to make them much more complicated we can do that later after we've got the skills know the rules then break the rules so what was your first exposure to storytelling and why was it such a pivotal moment to set you on this path of, you know, teaching and producing films and doing this work you do? That's a great question. My first exposure. Well, you know, I was a theater kid when I was young and did lots of community theater and high school theater. And, you know, I still do improvisation, which requires a bit of storytelling kind of on your feet. Um, but I didn't become consciously a story Nazi until... Um, probably till before I wrote the book, when I was teaching video to these kids, because I think it took me a while to realize how important it is. So, you know, a shot has a story. So that going back to that gun, finger pulls trigger, simple sentence story of one shot in an action movie, that still has a hero. The hero of that shot is the finger. And the action it's doing at the beginning is pulling and then at the end the gun goes off and then we cut to something else so even one shot in a three-hour action feature has a story all its own embedded in it and when we do commercials and i challenge you to to watch commercials uh the next time you're watching television the commercials we remember and the commercials that we like have a clear story they have a beginning they have a middle they have an end and they have a hero, somebody who is driving that commercial forward. And uh, we remember them better because we think in story. So even in 30 seconds, there's a whole story there. And then when you when you get even bigger to, you know, a half hour TV show or an hour TV show or a two hour streaming movie, those all have to have some serious story structure in order to hold up. So I think I kind of started to realize when I was working with commercial clients, that one of the ways I could help them was to take what they had and make sure that it very strictly told a story. 
you know, often the punchline would be in the wrong place or the story would be better if they moved this action over here a little bit or if we really shot some more about the hero at the beginning of her journey, you know, right for the beginning of the spot. And if you do that gently enough, even ad agencies will listen. And it turns out that being a story Nazi and really like literally going, do I have a hero? Do I have a beginning? What's the middle beat? What's the end? That strengthens these commercials and makes them much more watchable. And so I kind of built that into how to shoot video that doesn't suck. That's excellent. And what I love about that too, is it speaks to your process of learning. It sounds like you get a job, you find those story points and you do your best to then be able to do it again and again. Is mm -hmm. Was there other ways that you were learning story at the same time? Um, well, writing screenplays, you know, also teaches you what works and what doesn't work because a screenplay for a long film is a whole different deal. Each scene is a story, and then each bunch of scenes that all are around the same thing is a story. So in, uh, let's take Star Wars, for example, you know, when when uh, Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi show up at the whatever that bar is where they're going to meet Han Solo, there's a whole section of the film that's around them trying to uh, recruit someone to fly them off the planet, and it turns out to be Harrison Ford, right? That is a sequence in the film, but that has to have a whole story with the beginning, middle, and end inside it. And each piece of that sequence, them pulling into Mos Eisley and, and telling the guards that these are not the droids they're looking for, each of those little scenes has to have a beginning, a hero, a beginning, middle, and end, right? And each shot in that scene has to have a hero, beginning, middle, and end. So if you're writing a script and you're going to take it out and shoot it with people who know what they're doing and you expect it to, you know, run in theaters and make some money, you got to be really strong on keeping the elements that work and strengthening the story action and getting rid of stuff that gets in the way of a smooth flow of story. And there's a lot of ways to analyze video. Um, you know, you can look at emotional flow and you can look at, you know, you can kind of feel it, but it also really helps to to get kind of granular about where are your story elements in each part of the movie yeah. so that it hangs together as a whole. So that I think that really strengthened it a lot for me. Was it hard to open yourself up to other people's notes and and critique and being able to collaborate with other people who might have input into a story? Well, how many writers does it take to change a light bulb, Chris? How many? Change. Who said you could change anything? <laughs> right? So, yeah, of course it was hard because uh, notes are always hard, you know, and doing uh, shows with networks, you know, you get pages and pages of them. And I think it helps in any situation, whether you're doing a TV show or a film or whether you're doing a marketing video that you have to share with other people in your company to be able to take the comments you get back and then put them into a framework that you know works for you. So for example, you know, if you get a comment back from the network on a certain section, the first question that I like to ask is, well, is this note about something they missed in the story? 
am I missing an element? Is it not tracking or am I repeating beats too much? Or is it, is it boring because nothing's really happening here? And what we really want is to get to the next part of the story, you know, and that's super helpful as a way to respond to those notes. So yeah, notes are always a pain, but they're kind of the first viewing, if you will, of a piece that's designed to be viewed by lots of people. So you got to kind of roll with them. And with that, when you're creating, are you creating with the audience in mind or are you satisfying your own creativity in a sense? Are you the first audience? You have to be both, don't you? You know, I mean, it's kind of like if I'm doing a commercial, I am definitely trying to do something that I'm going to be proud of and I'm trying to innovate and I'm trying to do some things I've never done before. And I'm trying to have fun and make the funny parts funnier and maybe get people to tear up at the end if that's the goal of the commercial. Right. And so I'm serving the company that's hired me to do the commercial by doing something that I think is great. Right. So, so I think one of the rules for People who start out with this, especially this comes up a lot in, when you're dealing with editors who don't have a lot of experience taking notes from a studio. It's you never want to suggest something that you don't love because that will be the thing they pick. <laughs> so what you want to do is give them some alternatives and some solutions to the notes or the issues that you also think are great because you're not obligated to give them any bad ideas. Like you, you're not required to give them any ideas you don't like, right? But some people don't quite understand that. And they, so they go off searching for, let me read the network's mind and see what I could possibly give them. But really what it is, is read your own mind, see how you can respond to those notes in a way that that still works for you and then provide that response. So I'd say the same to somebody who's doing a, like a marketing video for their company. People are going to say, I don't get this, or what about that? And what you never want to do is come back with a solution that doesn't work for you. Just keep the ones that don't work for you to yourself and give them the two options that really work for you. And you'd be fine with either one. And that way you can't go too wrong. Well, I mean, that's some wisdom right there for any creative pursuit too, because, you know, that's the joke in logo design, web design, film production. If people aren't paying attention to that note, Please pay attention to that. Yeah, it's like put your own oxygen mask on first and then you can help others, right? Absolutely. So you're teaching to disadvantaged kids about video. At what point does it enter your mind? I should codify this in a book and sell it around the world in nine different languages. Well, I I started teaching them um, for a few years and then the smartphone thing started happening and people started shooting more video. And then when I'd go to parties or I'd meet with friends or, you know, we'd go do something together and they'd go, you know, I did this video. Can you take a look at it? And I would say, yeah, because that's easy. And I'd look at it and it would always be the same problems. It would be stuff that would have commonalities like lack of story, like how come you're so far away when you're shooting this or how come we can't hear this? Once I realized there were a lot of commonalities and that these things were also things I was teaching the kids, I started to think about, would it make sense to start teaching that to other people in the form of a book? And what I realized when I looked around is that most people who direct do not also teach. 
I mean, directing is a hard job and it takes a lot of energy and just getting a movie made is insane, right? But if you're focused on that, it's probably good for your career, but I'm not as good at that career as some people. So I'm like, I'm no Michael Mann, right? So I get distracted by the idea of teaching and I really like doing it. So I thought, well, if nobody who really comes from my side of the camera in the pro world is teaching how directors think, probably makes sense for me to give that a shot because I'm getting all the same questions. And I feel like the stuff that I'm seeing on the internet is like all about equipment. Oh, and by the way, a lot of it is just flat wrong, right? So five tips for a great video from people who have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And so I thought, well, maybe we should just present it the way a professional would look at it and try to put it in in easy terms that people could use right away to make their videos instantly better. And that turned into how to shoot video that doesn't suck. And what I love about that is it doesn't matter whether you've made a film or a video before with that professional focus, I'm ready to read the book again and just pick up some things that maybe I need to like remember or continue learning. And I think it's for every skill level, which is great. Thanks. It was funny when I, I did the audio book about six months after the book came out and I was reading it and going, oh, I really should remember this. Because, <laughs> you, you know, when you're focused on something and you write it, it's yeah. uh, and then and then you completely forget that you said it. But it's like, yeah, it's got some good stuff in it. Yeah. Not bad. What's interesting, Steve, is like you have a very much entrepreneurial vein in your existence as well. So it's not just I'm a director and I'm one thing. I mean, you're a writer, you're a director, producer, teacher, right? I mean, all the things like how do you keep them all? It, I guess, how do you keep a sense of focus so that you're not too distracted by the different poles of of the work? Uh, badly. I do it badly. You know, the, the truth is that uh, one person's renaissance man is another person's unfocused mess, right? Um, so I don't think I'm an unfocused mess. I've managed to survive in Hollywood. So, and I, I get to do work that I enjoy, but it's not easy. And there have been times where, um, you know, my focus applied more focusedly to something might have done a little better for me career-wise. But I really, um, I like all these things and I've never been able to really just do one thing and one thing only for too long. I just try to do things that excite and interest me and I really like teaching. You know, so when we did this um, video course over the summer, it was really fun to go back to this material it was a blast to, you know, actually talk in front of a camera, which I don't normally do. So uh, that was a good time. And I learned a lot about how to teach this stuff on video by doing that course. One thing I didn't know I was going to learn, but then I realized like halfway into the process when I was already committed was um, if you're going to do a video about shooting video, it can't be bad. <laughs> so you can't do one of those little those talking heads things where people just lecture. And that was unfortunate because it turned into a giant, you know, it turns out adapting a book is adapting a book, whether it's yours or somebody else's. And it's a lot of work, but yeah. we got it done. So, yeah. And, and just from the trailer and first couple of lessons that are available on your website, I mean, it's excellent. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, the quality is there. 
And I think that it's the perfect companion piece to the book. Thanks, Chris. I, I think people like to learn in different ways. So if you're a book reader, you know, the book will certainly do it. The audiobook has been surprisingly successful. I've, my publishers, who I love, did not think that an audiobook about how to shoot video would work, which makes a certain logical sense, except that it did work and it actually sells really well. Um, and some people have emailed me over the years saying, God, I wish I could just see you do it and watch a video about it. And so now we have that too. Yeah. I mean, th that covers all the bases on how people learn. So you're set. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of exercises and, and stuff that you can do. So it's not all lecture. So Yeah, that's excellent. How do you keep moving forward? Is it just being presented with these new opportunities to flex and learn and grow? Or do you have like some shiny goal on the horizon that you're moving toward? Well, at a certain point, the goal is is always to find projects, nurture them, move them along, and then see them come to life. So for last year, you know, I did commercials, but my big goal was to get this uh, video course done. Um, I have a film that I hope goes next year that I wrote, not directing, but that I co-wrote, and um, some other projects like that that I'm working on as well. The key thing about the industry that people, I think, don't understand is that networking isn't what you think. You know, networking is when you're just starting out, you think, oh, I'm going to go to a party and I'm going to impress some higher up who's already made it. And they're going to go, why don't you come be my assistant? And then you'll do that for a while and then you'll rise in the ranks and be a star or you'll be discovered somewhere. But I think what networking really is, is find people that you like who understand and appreciate the way you work and who in turn you understand and appreciate the way they work and work with them and over time these relationships grow into your own network if you start this when you're 23 you know by the time you're 26 you're going to know a lot of people who like you and like what you do and that's networking really that's the networking that works in hollywood or probably any other business right is is find the people who genuinely when you're with them, you you walk away feeling like, oh, these guys get me. I totally love working with them. They're honest. They're nice. They see the world the way I see it. They challenge me in a good way. Those are the people that you want to stand next to forever. Because when you have a job and you need someone, they're going to be right there for you. And when they have a job and need someone, uh, you're going to be right there for them. And so over the years, I've tried to develop you know, a network of people that I know I can count on and who know they can count on me. And that's the, when you say, how do you keep going? Really the way you keep going is by nurturing that network and developing it and finding new, creative, interesting people to work with. Cause film, film and television are a team sport. Yeah. You know, you can't really do it all by yourself. So I recommend that. And that's what I've been trying to do, you know, pretty much my whole career. Again, it doesn't matter what creative industry you're in. I mean, that those principles of networking are solid for the fields that are where you do it yourself. It gets you out of your office, gets you away from the computer, and it gets you around people and hearing their stories Yeah, and, and finding ways to, I think, um, 
broaden our horizons. I think when we when we just listen to the same story over and over, I mean, that's just propaganda at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to get out and be creatively challenged with people you trust to, you know, creativity is hard, you know, you get beat up a lot. But if you get beat up in a constructive way by people who you know, love you, or at least like working with you, then that's a good thing going forward. You know, it helps you grow and makes you feel good about what you're doing. And hopefully you gain expertise and become an even better resource for them over time. So as you look at the industry that you're in and and you look at the future of it, what do you hope exists in the future for th- that next generation following up? Wow, tough question. Well, I would like the whole world to become more video literate. That's a first a first step, right? I'd like us to um all understand how it works. You know, we we comprehend video well because we've been watching it since we were born, but we don't speak it very well. And learning to speak it brings about a certain expertise. And that expertise is what allows you to understand and communicate better in the medium, right? So if you talk to basketball players in the NBA, when they throw a foul shot, they know whether it's going in or not the minute they throw it. They can tell which finger was off when they threw it. They can tell you how long it's going to take to get there, and they know exactly what's going on. And that's because they're experts, and they kind of see it in slow motion, as what people report. If you show me a video, I can see tenth of a frame in that video and tell you how to adjust it because I've watched so much and really thought about it a lot. Um, doctors can tell you what's wrong with you pretty much when you walk in if they're great because they know exactly what they're looking for and they know how to get to it. So if we teach people how to do video and how to communicate in video, they will become better at understanding video in a good way. They'll become better at not being fooled by the deep fakes about not being manipulated by other people. They'll become better at doing their own communication via video, which will be good for society. So I'm hoping that in general, our level of video literacy rises and that we start teaching it in high school like English. In the entertainment industry, I think it'll take care of itself. You know, it's become a giant thing. And uh, even though streaming is having economic issues right now, it's still a giant thing. It's going to be a giant thing for a long time. And the truth is, there's an enormous difference between uh, really great YouTube videos and really awful YouTube videos, really great movies and really awful movies. There will always be that difference and there will always be a market for great stuff. I think that the the better we can do at creating it and, and helping other people create it, uh, the better off we'll be. That is such a amazing view of it too because i think it covers all the bases there's some hope in there there's some struggle there's some resolution i mean even just in that alone you're you're speaking in story you're communicating in story and uh you can latch onto that as a listener good i hope so i've been practicing <laughs> watched my video yeah 300 times yeah i well and and something that you said too struck me is that it's not that you've done it time and time again, but you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that approach to thinking through what you're doing, analyzing it yourself. I mean, we're, we're our harshest critics at times, 
being able to learn from that and and keep fueling that action is important as well. Yeah. I mean, if if you just want to shoot clips and keep them on your phone to look at later, this this really you kind of don't need this advice. But if you actually want to share it and have people pay attention to it, yeah, you need to think about what the audience is going to sit through and why and how best to communicate with them. Well, as we wrap up our time together, Steve, is there any wisdom apart from the entire hour that you shared that you would like to leave with the listener? Uh, I think I'm out of wisdom. I have no more wisdom for you, Chris. You've you've sucked the wisdom dry. <laughs> I, I'm not that wise anyway, uh, but I have oh, spent I a fair amount of time thinking about all yeah. this stuff. So, um, so I appreciate your finding it interesting. That's great. Yeah, I, I disagree wholeheartedly because I think you're incredibly wise in the ways that we need people to be um, teaching us, guiding us, and challenging us. So thank you for that. Well, thanks. Is there a book, podcast, or resource other than your video course and book and companion audio book that uh, is blowing your mind right now? No, those are the only things. No, no, I'm just kidding. I've been listening to a podcast called Dead Eyes, which is a couple years old. And it's about a guy named Connor Ratcliffe, who was fired by Tom Hanks from Band of Brothers. And uh, he didn't know why. And it derailed his acting career for a while. And so he did this podcast in 2020 for, for three seasons to find out why. But what it really turns out is it's kind of an exploration of the business and how it works and what it's like to be a creative putting yourself out there and i just discovered it i'm very late to the party but uh if you have a chance to listen to dead eyes on uh your local podcast app i recommend it that sounds fantastic i i think one of the things that i personally love about podcasting is that it can be that search for answers especially when it's something personal like getting fired from a job that can really turn into something interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. He's a great storyteller. And I, I think he did did right to bring his personal experience to the podcast. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being a guest on Getting Work to Work. Thank you for impacting my own life personally for years upon years when I taught uh, your, your lovely book. And uh, I'm just grateful for the way that you are challenging people and, and bringing forth story literacy in this world. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. It was fun. Thanks for having me. If you want to know more about how to shoot video that doesn't suck, be sure to head to stevestockman.com. You can also find the link on the show notes page at gwtw.co slash 764. On Steve's website, you'll find the video course, sample chapters of the book, and many articles that he's written that can help you do just what he promises. Shoot video that doesn't suck. I can't reiterate enough just how much the book has helped me and the many students I've taught over the years, not to mention people all around the world who reference the book as well. I hope you'll check it out. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life. <laughs>